everyone. Welcome to Unapologetic, a podcast dedicated to giving women of color a voice and an opportunity to share their journey with the world. My name is Kalina Bryant, and I am the founder of Unapologetic, and I will be your host for today. I'm excited to introduce to you our next guest speaker, Leah McGowan-Hare, the Vice President of the Trailblazer Community and Engagement at Salesforce. She is a respected thought leader within the technology space and will be sharing her journey on being an African-American female executive, the importance of being authentic in everything you do in life, advice on managing microaggressions, having control of your narrative, and persevering in any setting. Without further ado, welcome, Leah. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well on this day. Thank you so much for making time. Of course. I'm super delighted to have you. I think your background is phenomenal and you are going to share some advice to all of us. So I would love to kick things off. Everyone has a superstar uh, story, especially a woman of color that has made it to the VP suite. So I would love to kick it off, Leah, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you once again. Um, for having me and and creating space for me to share my story. And I hope, you know, this is my disclaimer. I always say whenever I speak, I tell everybody, take what you need and leave the rest. Everything ain't for everybody. So there's um, my little disclaimer. I started off in tech back in 1992. I graduated with an undergrad in comp sci from UMass Amherst. And at that time, there was no tech industry, right? There was no they were like, there's the financial vertical, there's the government vertical, there's the, you know, oil and gas vertical. There were, you know, industries and there might have been some tech inside of it, but tech was not a well-known thing at the time or definitely not a standalone industry. So I started off my career journey being a consultant for a company at the time called Accenture, excuse me, Anderson Consulting, now called Accenture. And uh did consulting. I, I built out systems in mainframe systems for initially the financial industry, then moving over to the government industry. The tech, like I said, mainframe, COBOL, JCL, all kind of old school stuff. I actually had the honor and privilege of working in the World Trade Tower for a while. So that's kind of, you know, bittersweet. And then I moved from the East Coast to the West, still working with Anderson Consulting at the time. And then I decided to make a lifestyle change because consulting, you traveled a lot. So I wanted to, um, you know, look to have a family. So I didn't want to travel as much. And I moved into, and I became a software engineer for a company called PeopleSoft. uh, And that was a client server technology, on-prem technology. So did that. And after a while doing that uh, software engineer for a while, realized, you know, that was great for a moment. But then I decided it just wasn't fulfilling after a while. I felt like um, there was a part of my spirit that that craved something other, other being I still wanted technology, but I wanted more people interaction. So I stumbled into this opportunity to be a technical trainer and um, teaching developers from employees to our own customers how to build uh, using PeopleSoft proprietary tools and software and coding language and really found that was really great mesh for me. I was like, ah, that makes sense. You know, I'm the first in my family to be in corporate America, but my family is in academia. My father was a professor. My mother was a teacher. So here I was a mesh of the two. I was 
teaching people, but inside the walls of corporate America and teaching technology. And it was an amazing journey. Then PeopleSoft got the bear hug by Oracle and I decided to leave. I started my own company for a while doing independent contracting, basically doing PeopleSoft conversions for companies, not glamorous work, data, data cleansing and data mapping, but pay as well. It actually paid I paid, made enough to go through grad school with no debt. So I got my undergrad, my master's in education and technology. And then I ultimately wanted to go back to teaching. So I joined Salesforce and I started off my career at Salesforce as a technical trainer. Uh, once again, teaching developers how to build on our platform. And the big difference here from the last time that I was a technical trainer was I had to learn about cloud computing and building apps in the cloud in the infrastructure and how it's a very different methodology. There's some things that are standard across, but it was a very different methodology in learning how to build that. So I did that for a while and then took a leap of faith to leave the classroom, which was huge for me. And I then uh, moved into more strategic roles of education still, of curating the onboarding content for our engineers as they came on to Salesforce using our online learning platform, which is called Trailhead. So did that. And then I just kept being open to other opportunities. They were like, Leah, you're an amazing presenter. You you have a gift and ability to disseminate very technical information in a very consumable way. We would love to see you do more of this. So I started doing more keynotes, more world tours, became like a side job of a spokesperson for Salesforce at a lot of our events. And then I moved over to the team I'm on now, Trailhead, where I was a developer evangelist doing demos of our platform and to our to our developer audience, building relationships with our developers. And then I moved in. I was one of the uh, people who created this program called BAM, Be a Multiplier, where we were on Trailhead giving everyone tools to be able to go out there and have learning workshops in their community so people could teach their own community Salesforce skills, right? Because what you were seeing is people were learning Salesforce for free. They're getting certifications and they're getting jobs in the tech industry, which they never imagined. So I really wanted to continue to amplify that story and make it accessible, particularly to our communities, because I was like, well, a lot of black and brown folks don't know this. How do I bring this? You know, so I did a little BAM tour. I went to like different places, Chicago, Compton, back east, uh, New York, just different places to do like little workshops, introducing them to Trailhead. And that still is a, a program we have today, BAM program. And I ultimately ended up taking over the Trailblazer community, uh, which is our secret sauce. There are our community of amazing customers, users, trailblazers who, who are just have an infinite love for our product and for each other in the community. So I have the honor of helping run that. And I also have the honor of running our workforce development initiatives under our Trailblazer Connect. We have this amazing program called Pathfinder, where we actually recruit folks from community colleges and other places, job seekers who are looking to get reskilled. They go through a 13-week training and ultimately get certified, and then we look to place them in jobs. So that's, I also work with that. And I also work with our Trailhead Adoption Team. So that's a lot. I, I try to keep it super high level. There's a lot of details in ebb and flow in that journey, but it's been an amazing journey filled with great experiences and, you know, oh, oh yeah. And I host our Leading Through Change, which just won a Webby 
I, which I didn't even know. So I was like, wow. Yeah. Wow. I was like, or we were Webby honoree. That's what I heard. So I didn't know much about these Webbies. This is how bad I didn't know. They showed the name is W-E-B-B-Y. I go, oh, we got a Weeby. They go, it's a Webby, Leah. It's a Webby. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh my goodness. I mean, I love all of that. I mean, Leah, you, it just seems like you've been open to opportunities, yes. right? And from the sounds of it, did you ever imagine that you would be here? No, absolutely not. Um, Kalina, I tell you, when I, first of all, I was the first in my family to be in corporate America. Like I said, I, I, I came from a very educated family. We weren't necessarily rich because people know teachers don't make a whole ton of money. My father was a professor. My mother was a teacher. But what I did enter into this world with was a strong gratitude and understanding of the value of education. So I knew that was important and always and always stay learning, right? Always be a continuous learner. Never stop learning, even beyond your degrees or beyond your current job. Always stay learning. Always stay curious. So I think that was one of the things that has served me well in my journey because I never got to a point where I felt like I've known everything. What was a blocker in my career was my limited perspective for myself. I really believed that when I found I was super successful as a technical trainer, I believed, ah, this is it. I found my calling. I was ready to, you know, that's it. I'm going to die as a technical trainer. And I mean, I did seven years as a technical trainer at Salesforce and I was like, okay, and I did, you know, there was this aspect of, okay, I'm going to challenge it. After a while, I was still doing, I was rated top instructor. I was the only African-American female technical instructor globally. And I'll have to tell you a funny story later how I knew that. Um, but at one point, I was, I had to open myself up to opportunity. Like I could have stayed on that trajectory, but this opportunity kept coming to me. And I was like, I think the universe is saying, you know, there's more, Leah, there's more. Like you need to move out of your own way. Don't block your own blessings. So as soon as I was able to literally step outside of the classroom, all these opportunities became, came, came to me. And I, it's to your point, like you were saying, I was opened. I stepped out on faith and not fear, you know? And so it, 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 it was helpful. I mean, I, I think it's amazing and it's a it's a skill set that many of us don't have, right? Uh, so I commend you on that. You touched on one thing, right, where you said you found out you were the only African-American trainer. That brings me- Female trainer. Female trainer. That brings me- Female to- technical trainer, technical. Oh. Uh- <laughs> okay, okay. Because no, we had admin trainers and we had some black female admin. Well, they weren't employees, they were contractors, but- not tech, like teaching developers how to code using our software was a very male Dominated. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still is. And still is. So in that layout, you know, you were thinking about education and then you're going into corporate America um, and it's new for you, right? And now you're in technology. And throughout all of this, you're still an African-American female, no matter what industry, job, title. And I want to get into... How did you feel being the only one at times? But more importantly, how did you navigate and still find success? So giving you a bigger context, I was not unfamiliar with being the only, right? I went to boarding school. 
people nickname used to be Tootie from the Facts of Life, right? <laughs> it was like, <laughs> whatever, folks. So there wasn't a whole lot of us there either. I went to a predominantly white university, right? And definitely comp sci major wasn't a whole, I think I was one of the only at the time. So being the only was not new to me. Navigating that space was not new. Within the walls of corporate America was very new. Um, and then when I started at Accenture, I was like, and I had done a summer internship, which was interesting because I did a summer internship at Con Edison, which is the electric company for New York City. And Con Edison itself is very diverse. So when I started on, and they were making an offer to me, but I really wanted to go to Accenture. So when I went to Accenture, I was like, and I went, to, they flew me out to Illinois for training. And I remember being, it was a, it was an old women's university that they had converted for training. And I remember walking through and looking at the walls and the pictures of like the founders and the, all these other partners. And it was all older white men. And I thought, my God, why am I here? Like, this is so bizarre. And I just made a mental note of it. But as I went on and connected, like at the, at the entry level for Accenture or Anderson Consulting at the time, it was very diverse, right? There was a little, somewhat diverse. I shouldn't say very. It was somewhat diverse, right? There's one other black person and, and, you know, but I eventually would just kind of, I got used to it, right? I was like, okay, figure out how to connect with people at a human level that transcends race and gender, right? Because that was my, that was my survival mechanism. Like, how do I connect with people just at a human level? Clearly, they may not understand my world fully and that's okay, but how do I connect with them in a different way so that whether it's on the work that we're doing or, you know, the clients that we're serving, just figuring out what were the commonalities is what helped me push through. Cause if I constantly focused on the differences, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really good. And with that, when you embarked into corporate America, did you ever have a certain narrative within yourself that you had to fix in order to accomplish things? Oh, I mean, you know, I was trying to assimilate. I had my hair pressed and, you know, head on suits and, and actually I'm probably dating myself. But back in the day when I was working in the World Trade Tower, we were not that client. It wasn't Accenture, but the client didn't want women wearing pantsuits. What? So I'm I'm commuting from Brooklyn to Manhattan and it's cold winter. I was like, I'm not wearing no, I'm wearing pants. So I literally would wear pants underneath my skirt until I got there. Then I would go in the bathroom and take the pants off. But like, but that was a form of like, I've got to assimilate into what the client wants, you know? And after a while, I um, became almost rebellious of it. And I remember I was at a meeting for like the black employees or something. And I had on, <laughs> this is a funny story. I had on a squirt and a backpack now this is back in the 90s backpacks in corporate america were not a big thing back then this is way pre facebook and all that so i had a suede i'll never forget a rust color suede backpack a red squirt set and i wore it to this meeting and i wasn't you know somebody quiet in the corner if i'm gonna be at the meeting i got questions right <laughs> so i was asking questions about well what is your recruiting strategy are you building relationships with nesby national society of black engineers da, 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 da. and this one woman looked at me and she said, who made that hiring mistake? Uh, 
right? She made it cheeky. That woman today is one of my best friends and mentors because what she did is she pulled me aside and she helped me figure out how to navigate corporate America. Because I was like, I am not assimilating. I'm not. She was like, okay, here's the deal. You clearly are brilliant, else you wouldn't be here. You have valuable things to say, but no one's going to listen unless you meet people where they are. You've got to learn the art of meeting people where they are. And then once they open their mind, they'll open their heart and they'll hear you. But if you're coming at them, you know, guns are blazing, people put up the walls and there will not be a constructive dialogue, right? So this is years ago and she had coached me and taught me. And, you know, to this day, she's still one of my favorite people in this world who I still call when I need coaching. Oh man, I, I love that. Meet people where they are. And it seems mm-hmm. like you've been an expert at networking all the way from the very beginning. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, that's a big point and making it in corporate America is being able to connect with people regardless it of, is. you know, what skin color, religion they are. You have Absolutely. to be able to connect. Um, I, I love what you said about the the woman too. We, we talk a lot about allyship. Well, at least I do, because I know if I don't have allies, I, I won't get that far. And so talk to me a little bit about being open to allyship. Well, I think there's a couple of things. Allyship, there's sponsors, right? Sponsors are imperative to your success. And then there's mentors, right? Mentors are folks who, you know, are kind of like, I think of that, you know, that elderly family is always like, let me tell you, here's how you should do this, baby. And look at this. Or mentors are ones who are giving you advice and you go on. Sponsors are the people who are in the room who can advocate for you when you are not in that room, right? They're the ones with the connections who are saying great things about you. Um, so I think you need a mix. You need a jambalaya mix. And every and not everybody's going to be both a mentor or, an, uh, or a sponsor, vice versa, right? So mm-hmm. um And for me, I've been blessed in a way. A lot of these things have come organically, but because it was connecting with people um, and being open to hearing people and talking to people and hearing their perspective. So I think, you know, you can't do this, this journey alone and you can't do it in a silo else you will find that it will eventually come to head, right? Like, it's like, well, that's as far you're going to be able to go on your own. And it isn't always about what can people do for me either, right? It has to be a reciprocal thing. Like, what can you, what are you also bringing to the table? Like, I, if, if you're my mentee, you know, what am I also getting? Like, it can't constantly be where I'm pouring from myself and not getting poured into. And maybe I'm getting poured into by others, but you can't be in a place where you're just constantly giving up yourself because you what's left for you. So it's, so you don't also don't want to be that person who's constantly yanking from other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out what are those things that you bring a value to other people as well. Like a lot of my mentees who are like your generation folks, they help me understand, you know, um, the nuances of how the landscape is from their perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Which is very different than how I came up with. And the things that are important to them, right? That back in my day, that might not have been the thing. Like what motivates your folks? And it's like being in a space where I can be myself, where I can voice. And my like none of that was important to me back then. It was like, I need a place where I can go work and make some money and, you know, whatever. Now it's like, I need to be heard. I need to feel like I'm adding value. Like these are things that are very different. 
mm-hmm. from when I came up. So I think the a mentor relationship can be, you know, reciprocal. Like I'm getting and giving. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you 100%. And you guys get the, you get to grow together, right? Exactly. And that's, that's the importance of community and allyship um, and mentorship, right. you know? Right. But that brings me to another question. You know, I think it's important to always have someone that's sponsoring you and, and, and being your ally. But the thing is, when you finally made it, what are your thoughts on making sure that you bring the next person along with you? Well, I would restate that statement because I don't think it's a thing of wait till you make it. Mm-hmm. I think no matter where you are in your journey, you always look to bring people along mm-hmm. and it could look very different. How I brought people along when I was a technical trainer might be very different how I'm bringing people along as an executive, but you you embed that into the DNA of your journey. It's not an afterthought. It is it is the gasoline that pushes you forward. So whether it is, you know, I would be doing one-on-ones, helping people better understand our technology outside of class, or, you know, ensuring people got off a wait list to be able to get into my class, or, you know, speaking at schools to young kids about, there was, you always you have a platform and I, and I think you've heard me say this. I was like, you always have a platform. People always wait for this big platform. I'm going to wait till I'm there. Then I'm going to use the platform you have. I, I this, My analogy always is Beyonce did not start at Coachella, right? She started at the county fair. She used whatever platform she had to build to get to the next one. Use your platform and always look for ways of bringing people along in your journey. You know, it's not an afterthought. Because if you aren't doing it today, I guarantee you ain't gonna do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I mean, that- and I heard that from my reverend. <laughs> like, if you're not gonna tithe today, you probably ain't gonna do it tomorrow. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> I I love that. I mean, you know, when you think about that, you you're absolutely right, and it's a muscle. You know, you have to constantly yeah. nurture yourself, go forward, push, and that brings me to you're always going to persevere. But my thing is everyone is talking about authenticity. That's like the buzzword right now. You got authenticity, resilience, grit, you name it. But I want to have some real talk on your thoughts on authenticity as a female, but also as a Black female in this industry. How do you do it? Well, for two things, and this just triggered my uh, thought when you first asked me about black and female in the tech industry and how I initially, I was like, well, it just wasn't a thing. I was used to it. I think also too, I used to be on panels and people would be like, you're black and female and very male dominated world. And they were painting this horrendous picture that I must be experiencing all these things. And I was like, uh, no, I mean, it hasn't, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are things like microaggressions or whatever, but and in my upcoming, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm just feeling so, you know, overwhelmed, underheard, all of that. And I have to be honest, sometimes some of the biggest challenges for me were the stories that I was telling myself. So it wasn't coming from others. They might have what others perspectives, thoughts, or whatever might have contributed to was how I curated the story in my head. But a lot of it came from I had to check myself. I was like, yo, like checking myself about Leah, are you telling yourself a story there? Like, am I already ready to fight because I am the only black one and and there isn't a fight right now, but you, you can't believe there can't be a fight because of course there's gotta be a fight because I'm the only one here. 
right? So I had to really change my narrative and be like, be, and it took patience. It takes, you know, a thing like when I would hear ignorant statements because they, they just didn't know. Right. So I was like, okay, clearly I'm the first black person these people have met. And so (laughs) here we go. Right. You had your little playbook of what you would say. And that does get exhausting. But if I would have met it with fists, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been productive. Now to your second part of the question about authenticity, that's a buzzword and it drives me bananas. And I'll tell you why, because people are like, Leah, you're such an authentic speaker or you know, authentic leadership. And they take that word for granted. And authentic, authenticity is a real heavy word. Because to me, how I see that word is authenticity is being authentically who you were meant to be, who you as a person. And that requires doing lots of inner work. Who are you? What are the things that matter to you? What motivates you? What are your strengths? What are challenges? What are your triggers? When you are in tuned with some of that, and listen, let me be very clear. No one knows themselves 100%. I don't care what anybody says. And I'll tell you why. Have you ever said, I'll never do this? I have. And then years (laughs) later, you're like, I know I said I'd never eat Brussels sprouts, but I really like them now. Like, you know what I mean? So you are constantly growing and learning and, 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 and evolving into the amazing being you are meant to be. So authenticity means having a sense of who you are as a person and how you move through this world. So often people are looking for their validation, looking for their identity externally, Right. They're figuring, oh, I got to be this way, or I got to do this, or I got to mimic that. And subconsciously or consciously them doing that, they're not being authentic to themselves, right? So to me, authenticity is like, you've got to do the work to really own that title. So when people are like, oh my gosh, Leah, you're such an authentic speaker. And I said, listen, I've been back in the days when I was trying to be something I was, and I was pressing my hair and had curling iron burns on my neck and trying to be something I wasn't. And it, you know, and I tried that and it didn't work. I was, I was being a second rate of somebody else, right? So when I started, and I think it's two things, you get I know nobody else can be me. And girl, it's age. And I done birthed a baby. So I'm like, listen, I'm a mama. I'm older. Look, this is what you got. So, you know, you just learn to really appreciate the skin that you're in. And I really feel like when you own that, you can navigate any space, whether you're the only or not. You can stand in your, because you know who you are as an individual. Mm -hmm. So I think authenticity is being grounded in, having a sense of who you are. I agree. And, you know, that it takes time, right? And oh, yeah. when thinking about that, and I think this is why it's important to have a community like this, because we have individuals that are millennials and Gen Zs now, and we are we see these buzzwords, right? So we're like, hey, let's be authentic. But we may struggle at at times of like that definition. And also right. we're, we're trying to move so fast, right? Like everyone wants to be the VP or the direct, you always want something and we don't really enjoy uh, the present. And so with some advice to that you would like to share with, for other people that are trying to be authentic, figure out who they are, but also still be successful. Um, what would you tell them? Walk in your 
faith and not fear. And that doesn't mean whatever your faith is, right? Faith in yourself, faith in God, faith in whoever your faith is in. But don't make decisions that are fear-based because it will serve you. It won't serve you well. And don't, you know, like you said, they say there's the millennials, the Gen Z. So people automatically put on this outfit that they were told to wear. Like, you're Gen Z. You're a millennial. This is what you are. And people are like, oh, okay. Right? Don't allow people to label you or put you in a box. Right? If you feel like that doesn't quite resonate with who you feel you identify yourself to be, then don't put that on. So I think oftentimes uh, we will assume identities that the world will tell us we are. Now you've heard this before. It's like, oh yeah, well, my my daddy had allergies, so I got allergies. My whole family just have allergies. I was like, you already assumed something and you don't even know. Like you just took that on. So therefore making it real, like you don't need to do that. Be open to experience the world how you experience it. And I think when you are able to be open, it's hard. People like though, to be able to identify with something and brand themselves as something. And then they can say, I'm part of this group. And because it's comfortable, right? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm this group. But I think being comfortable with being uncomfortable, being open to always growing, stay growing, stay curious, because you'll get stagnant. Right. And you know what happens when things get stagnant, all kind of bacteria grow. Mm-hmm. You want to keep always going and growing and, and just staying open to learning. And as you are going through this journey and there's certain things that, you know, you experience that really resonate with you. Take stock of that. Remember that, because that is telling you, like, maybe that is the thing that I need to move, do more of or that's the thing I need to do less of. Take stock of the people in your circle. If the people in your circle are not contributing to you being a better version of yourself and growing, you might want to reevaluate that, right? Or if you have people who are just only happy when you're miserable, like, you know, those people like, like, oh, girl, this happened. Oh, yeah, girl. Mm, you, mm, yeah, you should have known, right? Mm-hmm. Be mindful of those things. Be mindful of how people react when you have great accomplishments, mm-hmm. right? I heard one somebody said, people are rooting for you, are cheering for you to win until you win, right? Watch those people. Wow. They want you to win until you win, right? Then it's like, oh, I, I was cheering for you. I didn't really think you was going to win. Now you win. And, and then you get that, now you think you all this. And you th-. It's like, okay, here we go, right? <laughs> But th- that comes in different flavors these days. It's like little, you Here know, and oh, there. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's, we wish it was as easy as, oh, you thank you this, because that's easy to call out. Mm-hmm. But you'll see it in behaviors. You'll see it in ways. Or So I think you just have to be very mindful of of the people in your space. Be mindful of the thoughts that you keep, of your own beliefs, of what you believe you can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. And being open to to different opportunities that allow you to grow. I agree 100%. And, you know, you touched on some things about making sure you uh, have the right tribe, right? And that gets me into my next segment. I call it your personal board of directors. (laughs) That's a a good way. You know, I I like that a lot. I might might have to write a blog on that. Yeah, your own BOD, your personal board of directors. Okay. And so when you think about your tribe, and you think about your advocates that actually helped you navigate to becoming vice president. What does that look like? And and what are some of the things that you see needs to be changed? Mm. 
there is no playbook for it in my experience. I think though understanding early education for our folks as we enter corporate America, like understanding the landscape you're entering, you know, stock options are available to you when you're at XYZ level. What does that mean, right? Well, you want to make sure you're moving toward that level because we know what stock options do. It helps build generational wealth. It helps you be able to buy homes, things like that, right? And knowing these facts will help you derive a better plan. So if you know, you know, I want to get to this level where I can, you know, be up for stock options. Now, how do I get there? What are those steps that I need to do? Being an advocate for yourself, right? I think, for the longest, I just believed, oh, you work hard, you get rewarded, right? But it's, that's not always the case. It's like you work hard and sometimes people don't know the work that you do. So people need to know about that. So being a, a way to to share all the work that you've done, but in a way that is not uh, boastful yet humble. So I often found like when I would complete huge projects, I would say, we just completed this great project. And, and if you do do something huge, it, chances are you didn't do it by yourself. So you said as a moment of gratitude, thanking all the people that helped you complete this project, you know, from the lowest level to the highest level. So I think gratitude is a great way of being able to share the work that you've done in a way that doesn't come across, you know, boastful or or, or arrogant. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to, you know, really the first and foremost is study the landscape that you're entering. Don't go in blind. Understand, you know, what is this corporate America? What are the levels? What are the levels of RSU? How does one get to an executive level if that is something that you aspire to be? I like that. And on the flip side, as you have experienced things and have conquered um, things, what's some things that you will never tolerate within this industry that you want to make sure that others also don't tolerate? I mean, I would not tolerate, whether it was in work or anywhere, you know, any kind of racism, sexism, homophobia, you know, any kind of talk around that, any kind of, you know, you know, you think of the the, the cooler talk, the water cooler talk, where people would might make some kind of joke that was insensitive to a group that I may not be a part of, but yet, you know, Racism see no boundaries. So if they're joking about, you know, somebody with a disability, what's to say you aren't in the next joke, right? So if one is being mistreated, then we all are. So I think I, I wouldn't tolerate that. I wouldn't tolerate, you know, people just being straight up. I don't know how to say it, like mean, like you've seen, I've seen people get yelled at. Mm-hmm. And if I'm ever in the space of that, I would not tolerate people to talk in, to people in very disrespectful ways. I don't care how upset you are. It's just not okay. And definitely, you know, nothing physical, mm-hmm. um, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't tolerate that. So I, I think it's all a matter of, you know, different experiences and things. And sometimes I try to take these things as teaching lessons for other folks, but sometimes you don't, you're tired of teaching. So you don't want to do that. And I wouldn't tolerate somebody suffering in silence. Like if you know somebody is going through something, reaching out to let them know they are not alone, particularly on my team. Like if there's, we've got folks right now in India who are suffering tremendously from the COVID, um, the rise of the COVID cases there. You know, I'm reaching out to them, making sure, you know, when the Asian anti-racism hate crimes were happening, you know, it's probably still happening, connecting with my Asian colleagues and 
making sure, just always keeping the forefront empathy because you would want that same level shown for you, mm-hmm. you know, when, when your community is going through something. So you can't ask for something you're not willing to give. Mm. I like that. I like that. And, you know, I, I believe you have a very diverse team. You know, you're leading a, a, a team and making sure that they're set up for success. But also we have a duty to make sure inclusivity is being built and not just your department, but the, the entire organization, the entire Silicon Valley, you know. And before we kind of come to a close, what's some advice for not just people of color that are in tech, but our allies, you know, um, some of my best allies are, are white males, you know, how can they feel as though they're a part of this tribe and this movement to provide an inclusive and diverse space for us? Yeah, I feel like they are. They have to be part of it in order to make the change. This is something that we have to do together. And, you know, there's all kinds of business justifications that you can Google, like, why is DNI good for the business, right? But just even from a humane place, why would you keep yourself surrounded by the same thought patterns, the same ways of thinking? That does not lead to innovation. You want people with different experiences, different thought processes, all the differences come together to create something that is truly innovative that will serve multiple people. We have seen many failures when they didn't have diverse people at the table, whether it was from their marketing to the actual product, you know, we've seen those fails. So it is evident what happens from a business standpoint when you don't. But even as to grow our humanity, to evolve as individual human beings, you must surround yourself around people who may be of your kind, but not of your color, right? So, you know, you want to make sure you're always, I tell people, you think about your feed, like your social feed. Mm -hmm. And if you have people who are always think the same way as you, that's not interesting. Diversify your feed. Mm -hmm. Who are you following? I have people who I adamantly disagree with, but I need to hear what is being thought because they represent a large amount of people on the other side. And I can't just create a bubble because it's comfy. Mm -hmm. How is that serving me? Right now? Listen, I'm going to have a whole lot of them up in my feed. I just need a few just so I understand what, what is being thought of, Mm -hmm. right? What are they saying? What are they, what is the logic, but diversifying your feed is so very important. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I mean, that's the moral of growing, right? If you don't have a diversified group of people around you, if you're not taking on challenges from what I hear, right. Being open to opportunity. How do you become Leah? Right. (laughs) (laughs) How do you become, how do you become the best version of who you are? Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I really feel like we have innate, within us, when we come into this world, a plan. It's already here. But a lot of these things won't grow and develop if they're not in the proper environment. Mm -hmm. And that environment may not be what you think it is, right? If I just stayed around my folks, there's only one piece of me that might develop. That is spot on. And I mean, it's just like, if you think about plants, right? If they're not in the right environment, what happens to them? They die. They don't grow. Right. Right. So in that case, if for all of our listeners out here, I think make sure you're in the right environment and make sure you're thriving and staying consistent. You know, it's not always going to be an easy path, but Mm -mm. if you know the direction you're going into, at least you can focus, right? Absolutely. Keeping your eye on the prize. And with that, 
so I want to talk about the future, right? So we're in 2021. We are still in COVID, but we're, we're the light is there. I, I see it. It's, it's a little closer. And, and you're- For us, but not everybody. Exactly, right? So in, yeah. that, in that case, what are you hopeful for when thinking about the inclusivity inside the technology industry, specifically for women of color, underrepresented groups? How do you want to see the world in the future, but also what are you going, what are you thinking about um, in terms of giving back to see that? Well, a couple of things, uh, some of the things that the pandemic has shown us is that we can still connect even when we're not connected, right? We can still connect through technology. And what I love about this, and I'm hoping we carry into the future is, is this virtual connection? Because what this does is it removes barriers of location. So I can connect with people around the world, right? It's no more like I got to fly there. I got to be there. I got to be a part of this conversation or be a part of this meeting or to be a part of this event. These amazing events that are happening globally where you can be a part of it from your own living room, which I may not have been a part of before because I didn't have the financials to get there, right? Mm -hmm. So I love, I think it's, there's space for us to really nurture that. And what does that look like for companies and their events in the future? Like, how do we bring back the in-person in a very safe way, right? And at the same time, create a virtual experience because it open, it casts the net wider because it it's far more inclusive. We've had events at Salesforce where all you know people from around the world are joining without having to, you know, worry about the cost of travel and expenses. So I don't ever want to lose that because you you bring in more people. So I think with that, there's this it's you know democratizing access to knowledge, to events, to um, experiences. So I think that's something I would love to see us to continue to bring forward in the future and nurture and grow so it, so the experience is very meaningful. I think with that comes for Black women, I, I'm hoping that we never have to have these conversations anymore because we're so intertwined in it that it's no longer an issue, mm -hmm. right? I want it where we don't need to have, you know, Black women this because we are in there, mm -hmm. right? Because we are so, it's not, it, it's, it's a non-issue. That is my goal where, I mean, you think of certain industries where they're where we are heavily represented, they don't have task force to diversify those because we're there, right? I want that same experience for technology. I don't want to have to be the only. And as one person called it, what was it called? Onlyness. We're the only and it's a little lonely, right? Mm -hmm. So only and lonely. And it's not a great feeling. And and you bring that through the career and there is a there is this sort of sadness that comes with it. And then there's this hunger. Like when you see another one, you're like, oh my God, hey, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and it's like a family reunion going on. <laughs> you just met the person. So I, I want to, I'm praying that we build up this pipeline and we let folks know that, that they can be, come here. But more importantly, we can't send out this message like come and work in tech if these environments are not nurturing to other people. Like, why are we recruiting them in if we don't have an environment that's going to retain them? So there's work that has to be done on both sides. Mm -hmm. So I, wa I want to see us continue that work. I want us to continue so that we have these experiences that are serving 
to black women and black women, Latino men and Latino women, and that we have our indigenous indigenous brothers and sisters also present um, and part of these communities. I just want to see more representation across. And I want to see it in a healthy, organic way, not in a way where it's like, oh, you want to be black in tech? Oh, you got to be this kind of black in tech. You know, mm-hmm. you can't be, you know, where it's a, because div- we know our folks is diverse. We got a diverse group of folks and it shouldn't be one type. There's got to be space for all of us, all the different types. I agree. Um, I love that. That that is beautiful, Leah. Um, We do have a lot of work to do and I'm hopeful that we can do it. You know, we are making progress slowly. um, So hopeful to see what the future holds. Um, And I know we're coming at a close, but I want to open it up, right? What are some of the other jewels that you would like to share with the world to make sure that they are set up, right? You know, I think you have a gain of of knowledge and I'm, I'm grateful that you're willing to share it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure our listeners are taking down notes. So anything else you got for the audience? Yeah, I mean, something I would leave them with this. And, and, and this is something that I'm currently working on in my own life is have a vision for yourself or others will have one for you. Right. Wow. Yeah. I'll let that soak in for a <laughs> no, second. That's a what, is that? <laughs> what does that mean? I have a lot of gifts and talents. And what I realize is people are like, oh, you should do this, Leah. They got a vision for me to do this. I'm like, uh, okay. Oh, Leah, you should do this too. Uh, okay. And then I find myself just kind of doing. But what was I working toward that I wanted to go toward? So I really had to step back and say, I've had amazing opportunities. Like I've had these opportunities to host the Leading Through Change, which has allowed me to interview, you know, amazing celebrities, amazing CEOs. Had I said no to that, you know, because I didn't have a vision for it. No, I was open to it. Somebody else saw a gift I had. They thought this would be a great, I trusted the vision of someone else. That was awesome. And it served me well. So I think it's a, it's a very delicate dance when, you know, you don't have a vision for yourself. You can find yourself kind of wandering. My analogy always is, is like, if you're going to New York City for the first time and you get dropped off in Times Square with no plan, you could end up spending your whole time standing there in Times Square because there's plenty going on, right? You right. know, but having some sort of plan, where do you want to be? What it, and, I, and I know a lot of people are like, where do you want to be? What do I want to be when I grow up? That's, it can be overwhelming. So then I always say, well, what kind of experiences do you want to have? What, what Do you want to travel? Do you want to, you know, work in product? Do you want to work in marketing? What are the experiences? Start there. Mm-hmm. What is that you're trying to do? But have a vision for yourself before someone else has one for you. I love that. And on that note, Leah, thank you so much for taking the time. There's going to be more to come from Leah, but thank you again. It's always a pleasure to hear your knowledge. Oh, thank you for giving me space to run my mouth. My kids don't like listening to me, so it's nice <laughs> that I have a platform where somebody might listen to me. All right. All right. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>